engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Okay, so I told you that the the polling was coming out at 5. That's what my email said, but apparently it's coming out at 6. I will bring it to you as soon as I possibly can uh, bring you the update on the polling in Georgia. Um, we do know the ground game numbers in Georgia. Uh, there's there's nothing about that I cannot share with you, uh, and it is close. It is very, very close. The Democrats are, according to the data I have, beginning to inch ahead. And because they are beginning to inch ahead, uh, you, you got all sorts of issues and implications for the Republicans. What I want to tell you, though, is if you're freaking out about early voting and the Democrats suddenly surging, you need to understand that in 2016, the Democrats crushed, crushed the Republicans in early voting. In fact, you had a ton of people who were saying that this was bad news for the GOP, that this was obvious uh, Donald Trump was toast in Georgia and he wound up being able to pull it off. And what I'm seeing in Georgia is there has been a serious uptick in early voting for Democrats. Uh, but keep in mind, there are a couple of counties in Georgia that Donald Trump won by 80 percent in 2016. And these counties have already exceeded the entirety of their vote from 2014 in just the early vote this time. That's a pretty significant uh, impact of early voting in counties that are Trump counties. They're very solidly Republican. And it looks like so Brian Kemp's entire strategy is because he knows Stacey Abrams will be able to turn out uh, Democrats in the metro area. He wants to offset them with suburban voters and these uh, exurban and rural voters. So for Scythe County, Cherokee County, Walton County, uh, go down to Stevens County, places like this, uh, you want to have a large Republican turnout there. And it appears that he is doing this. Now, there does also appear to be a lot of new voters coming into play. A lot of new voters who haven't voted before. The odds are most of those voters are voting for Stacey Abrams. Uh, The data suggests that there is some third-party polling out there. Uh, The Data Institute, which looks at this information, shows that basically at about a rate of 80%, independent voters are voting Democrat around the country this year. So we will keep up to speed with this. Uh, we will have the polling that's out uh, at the top of the hour, and I will be able to break that down. Uh, nationwide, we're seeing the same thing. Democratic mobilization after the the bomber last week. And, you know, I got to say, let, let me just freeze for just a second. I hesitate to bring this up. And the reason I hesitate to bring it up is because I know there will be a significant portion of people who hear this and will nod the long and say, oh, yeah, that bomber totally was a Democrat. And we know he wasn't. Y'all, I got ambushed by somebody yesterday who said he had read that that bomber was actually a lifelong Democrat and only uh, registered Republican in 2016. And that's not true. And some of you I know believe it. uh, And I know you believe it because it was one of you who confronted me with this. And I had to explain that it was not true. That is a conspiracy. It was originated on certain fringe uh, right of center websites, but it simply is not true. And 
I can't tell you any more than it's not true. And if you don't believe me, well, that's on you. It's not on me, but it's not true. The guy was an uninvolved, unregistered person until Donald Trump inspired him to get into politics. Uh, and he turned out to be a nut. That's okay. It's not an, an casting dispersion on, on Republican voters or Trump voters. It's just that one guy. Let's, let's not make it a collective thing. Nonetheless, uh, what I can tell you is in the early voting models, the Democrats really did. There was an uptick. I, and, you know, I really shouldn't even say it was an uptick of Democrats. Uh, it was a downtick of Republicans. The Democratic turnout was actually fairly steady. It was a Republican uh, downtick. And in fact, there are efforts now by Democrats around the country to try to suppress the Republican vote. So around the country, Democrats are pushing this. In fact, in North Dakota, Democrats are running ads on social media that election day is Tuesday. If you elect, you will have to reapply for your hunting and fishing license. That's what the Democratic Party of North Dakota is telling people that, that if you vote, you will have to reapply for your hunting and fishing license. Absurd. In Missouri, Democrats are targeting Republicans saying Josh Hawley opposed Eric Greitens, the ousted governor there who resigned uh, before otherwise facing impeachment. They're trying to suppress that vote. In Georgia, I am sure they're going to do something similar in this last week of early voting. They're going to try to suppress. And what's so funny about it is Democrats always say it's Republicans who are suppressing the vote, but in fact, it is the Democrats around the country in an organized effort trying to suppress the vote. And you should remember that. And you should go vote. Now, what does this look like for the Senate? Nate Silver of 538, who everyone pays attention to, has released a statement in the last hour, I shouldn't say a statement, he released a piece on his website and said Democrats, quote, need a systematic voting error to take the Senate, close quote. What does he mean by that? Well, all of the polls must be wrong or the Democrats can't pick up the Senate. Why must all of the polls be wrong? There has been a strong surge in Indiana of Republican voters. There's been a strong surge of Republican voters in Arizona and a strong surge of Republican voters in Montana and North Dakota and Missouri. Indiana, North Dakota, Missouri, and Montana are all states the Democrats currently control in the Senate they are all states Donald Trump won in 2016, and they are all states showing a very sizable Republican wave in early voting. Republicans tend to win the absentee ballot war and lose the in-person early voting war. In Georgia, we're seeing very much the same thing. As I mentioned in 2016, uh, Democrats crushed Republicans in early voting. Republicans won the absentee race, but Democrats just so overwhelmed early voting. This time, Republicans and Democrats are at parity in absentee balloting. Stacey Abrams has pushed a lot of Democrats to vote early through absentee balloting, and she appears to have been able to get people to do so. But the in-person early voting where Democrats win in Georgia is really, really tied up. And so the Democrats can look at the absentee balloting and say they were roughly at parity with the Republicans, and that's good for them. But the Republicans can look at the um, can look at the in-person early voting 
and say, hey, wow, we're actually holding our own here. And both sides do a very diligent job of tracking people. Now, I have gotten a lot of questions, and I've tried to explain this several times, the early voting issue. And I really I want to spend a few minutes when we come back walking you through how the parties know what's going on and who they know is voting. They do a very good job of tracking it, so they have a very good sense of it. Uh, and it's one reason the Kemp campaign, though the polling uh, across the board, the Real Clear Politics average and whatnot shows everything relatively tied, the Kemp campaign is actually, they're looking at this and they're not hitting the panic button. They're thinking they're going to be able to get this. Remember, Republicans tend to outvote Democrats on Election Day. And we have a state that still has more Republicans than Democrats in it, even though it's closer. So when we come back, how exactly are they doing this? How exactly am I able to tell you Republicans and Democrats are at parity, Democrats are ahead on absentee balloting, or they're tied on absentee balloting? How do we know all this stuff? I'll explain it to you. Do you have trouble sleeping? Do you struggle putting your kids to bed each night when you sleep poorly? How does it impact the rest of your day? Well... There's a great app to help you get to sleep at night, and I can tell you we've started using it in our family. Jonathan Last, actually, a friend of mine from the Weekly Standard, recommended this. He and his family have used it for a very long time. Uh, the app is called Calm. We have gotten to the point now where our kids now sleep in separate rooms, and our youngest has wanted to sleep with the dog. Our oldest has wanted some sort of sound machine at night. Well, this app, Calm, it's the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was named App of the Year last year by Apple. And if you head to calm.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programs, including sleep stories, which are bedtime tales for grown-ups designed to quiet your minds and relax your body. They're read by soothing narrators like Clark Peters from The Wire and Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. There are guided meditations on topics like anxiety, stress, and sleep, and there's soothing music and more. For a limited time, the Eric Erickson Show listeners get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash E-R-I-C-K. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content that will have you drifting off to dreamland in no time at all. Get started today at calm.com slash Eric, then get to sleep. Welcome back. It's 26 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Now, I've only got about a minute left, and I do want to take your phone calls as well. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Also, this weekend, I am going to be, I've never been the Grand Marshal of a parade before. I'm going to be in Bostwick, the Cotton Gin Festival. It's a really big deal if you've never been into the Cotton Gin Festival in Bostwick. Uh, they're having it this weekend. I will be at the parade on Saturday. I'm not sure if the family will be with me yet or not. I believe Christy has a motorcycle ride she wants to do. The kids may come with me. Um, Nonetheless, I will be there. So if you want to hang out, say hello. Go to Bostwick this Saturday for the Cotton Gin Festival. I will be there hanging out. When we come back, we'll take your phone calls, 404-872-0750. And also, early voting, how do they know? At the top of the hour, the big new poll comes out, and I'll have the details for you as well. It 
is 39 after the hour. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the full number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let me explain to you, before I take phone calls or anything else, let me explain to you exactly how uh, everything works as far as early voting goes and how do we know uh, the results? How, how do we have any idea how how many Democrats have voted, how many Republicans have voted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Well, we know in, in Georgia you can get a voter file. In pretty much every state you can get a voter file. And what that voter file does is it shows people and classifies them by hard Republican, hard Democrat, soft Republican, soft Democrat, general only voter, new voter, et cetera. What does that mean? Well, if you are a hard Democrat or hard Republican, what it means is that you always vote in primaries for that party. If you are a soft Republican or soft Democrat, it means that you oftentimes vote in primaries for both parties, but you have a greater propensity to vote in the primaries of one. So, for example, uh, you vote in local Democratic primaries, but you always vote in the Republican presidential primary. Well, the odds are you're a soft Republican voter. Uh, there are more hard Democrats in this state than there are hard Republicans. That is, people who vote in Democratic primaries uh, regularly uh, as opposed to those who only but regularly vote in Republican primaries. There are more soft Republicans than soft Democrats in the state. Now, to give you a sense of what I mean by that is in Forsyth and Cherokee counties, there are a lot more soft Democrats than soft Republicans, but there are a lot more hard Republicans than there are hard Democrats. Why? Well, because in Cherokee and, and Forsyth County, everyone is a Republican. So if you are a Democrat and you want to have a say in local elections, you got to vote in the Republican primary for city council, for county commission, uh, for uh, state rep, state senate, things like that. But in South Georgia, in, in most of Georgia, actually, there are still a lot of people who vote Democrat in a local elections, but are actually Republicans. But they have to vote in Democrats. I mean, take, for example, Bibb County. Uh, Bibb County, Middle Georgia, if you want to elect, if you want to have a say in the district attorney, in the sheriff, in the clerk of court, anything like that, or take uh, how, Henry County, same thing. You want to have a say in those races. Well, even though you're a Republican, in those elections, you've got to vote in the Democratic primary. Now, there are some Republicans who flat out refuse to vote in a Democratic primary. Those are your hard Republicans. But a lot of Republicans want to have a say in shaping their local races. They realize their counties are heavily Democrat at the local level, and so they go vote uh, in those races. So there are far more soft Republicans in Georgia than there are soft Democrats because there's a greater propensity to live in a county where local politics is Democratic, but national politics is Republican. Remember, it's only been, a, it's only been about two decades, really less than that, where Republicans started voting uh, consistently down ballot and up ballot for Republicans. Uh, the, for the longest time, up until really about 2010, you had Republicans would vote for federal elections Republican and state elections Repub uh, Democrat. The last decade has really been a major shift in the state in terms of that, but it leaves us with a data point that you need to understand. And So if you combine hard Democrats and soft Democrats in Georgia, they're actually outnumbered by the hard Republicans, soft Republicans. There may be hard Democrats in the state, 
But you combine the hard Republicans and, and soft Republicans, you vastly outnumber uh, the Democrats. So it comes down to a turnout model uh, in the state. And what happens with early and absentee voting is you can go see who's actually voted. And you can get an idea. You can also look at the counties. You can say X number of people have voted in this county. This county went 80% for Donald Trump. The odds are the overwhelming proportion of those are Republicans. The campaigns actually pay and get really good ideas based on who has and has not voted. They hire people to go around. They find those numbers. Um, here's here's Let me give you the tw- 2016 general election data. There were 5,443,046 registered voters at the time. There were 4,165,405 votes cast. Uh, That means 76.53% of voters cast. Now, presidential elections tend to have higher turnout than midterm elections, although this midterm is looking more like a presidential. What was the actual vote total? Well, Donald Trump won the state with 51%. Uh, Compare that to Nathan Deal, who won the governor's race with about 53%. Uh, This was a step down. The president got 2,089,104 votes, and Hillary Clinton got 1,877,963 votes. Gary Johnson got 125,306 votes. 3% went to the Libertarians. Um, So now what about uh, the breakdown here? Well, Absentee in-person voting for Donald Trump was 102,000, and for Hillary Clinton, it was 98,000. Advanced in-person voting was 1.1 million for Donald Trump and 1 million for Hillary Clinton. So, sorry, I I got that wrong. I said they they far outpaced us. Um, They didn't. Um, And election day total, this is where it comes out to be very big for Republicans, 863,000 people voted for Donald Trump on Election Day. 753,000 voted for Hillary Clinton on Election Day. So about 110,000 more Republicans voted on Election Day than Democrats. It was very, very close uh, in the advanced in-person voting. You only had a, what, you had about a 100,000 more? Yeah, 100,000 more people voted uh, early voting in person for Republicans than Democrats. And then there are the provisional ballots. Uh, new people, they they may have gone to the wrong polls or whatnot. Democrats, it was 4,800 for them, 2,500 for the GOP. You don't have to worry about those too much. Uh, but you see the pattern here. The Republicans actually tend to do very, very well in the um, in election day voting, absentee balloting, 102,000 voted for Donald Trump by absentee ballot, 98,000 voted for Hillary Clinton by absentee ballot. So there's your perspective on the race. It's very, very close, and a very, very close race actually isn't bad for the GOP. is 55 after the hour we've got about a minute but i'm going to try to work in john from sandy springs welcome yeah hey eric i really do appreciate the service you provide in helping us to understand our local politics thanks um i want to uh, get some clarity on that uh on the judge's decision yesterday about brian kemp and uh, and it being against him 
Am, am I to understand that absentee ballots do not have to have matching signatures? And if so, is that not the only form of ID that's attached to a vote instead of having someone show an ID? So what the judge has said is that if the ballots are rejected because their signature doesn't match the voter registration card, they've got to give the voter the opportunity to come forward and, and show that it is theirs. Uh, they're not going to auto count uh, the ballots, and that's not what okay. the judge has said. Uh, and, you know, there is a problem in that, you, let's say you've, you registered to vote uh, 30 years ago, and so your current signature doesn't match your signature from 30 years ago. It, it is a valid point. Uh, that being said, no one's reported on how many absentee ballots this affects, and I'm told it's only four ballots, four ballots that this really affects. Um, so that's not, I don't think, going to be a big deal. When we come back... Uh, the embargo will be lifted. I have the polling for you. Uh, this is probably the most credible poll we've seen in Georgia and well over a thousand likely voters. I will break it down for you when we come back. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now I've got the big breakdown of the AJC, uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, WSB-TV, Channel 2 Action News poll. It was conducted by the University of Georgia School of Public and International Affairs. Uh, this is a very credible poll in that while I'm always a little bit skeptical of university polling, uh, they put some time and diligence into this. You're talking a likely voter pool of 1,091 voters. Uh, now, you you don't get the full shift in the polling, I, I wouldn't suspect, because it's October 21st to October 30th is the polling group, which is very, very large uh, gap for polling, but it is fairly common for media polling. Now, how does this break down? Well, according to the polling, uh, Stacey Abrams is 46.9%, Brian Kemp is 46.7%. So basically, you're talking 47% for each of them uh, with a margin of error of 3%. Um, this poll has shown consistently that the race is fairly well tied. I am told by people close to both campaigns that their internal polling largely reflects this, uh, that the polling is very well tied up in the state of Georgia. It comes down to a turnout game. Now, there is some good news for Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams below this. Uh, for example, Brian Kemp leads men 54 to 40, but Abrams leads with women 53 to 38. White women, however, are going with Brian Kemp 63% to Stacey Abrams 31%. Uh, they would both like to be doing a little better there, uh, but this actually gives Kemp a little bit of leeway. Now, Voters over 65 favor Brian Kemp. Voters under 29 back Abrams by 22 points. That's kind of to be expected. Uh, Stacey Abrams also is ahead with independent voters. They're only about 10% of the electorate, but she's beating um, Brian 53 to 25. 
Um, very, very intense polarization. Nearly 70% of voters say the midterm election is much more important or more important than past votes. That includes 68% of Republicans, but three quarters of Democrats view it that way as well. Democrats highly mobilized in this race. Uh, again, the AJC race has it a tied race, 47% for each. If we want to get into detailed uh, tenths of a point, 46.9 for Abrams, 46.7 for Kemp. Um, here's the, the thing that I think you got to remember here. If you're freaking out, uh, what was the final real clear politics polling average for Nathan deal versus Jason Carter? Uh, the final polling had deal 48.4 to Carter 43.8 with Nathan deal having a 4.6 percentage point lead. Uh, right now, the real clear politics polling average for this race has Brian Kemp with only about a percentage point lead. The final outcome of the race was Nathan Deal 52.8 to Jason Carter 44.8. Nathan Deal with an eight point lead. What actually happens here is is voter mobilization and turnout. But remember, there is a latent advantage for Republicans in Georgia because Georgia is still a Republican state. There are several hundred thousand more Republicans in the state. If they turn out and they vote for Brian. Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp will be able to be governor without a runoff. A lot of people in the media are starting to suggest there may be a runoff. And none of the people I've been talking to in the Kemp campaign or towards the Abrams campaign are really saying a runoff right now. They don't think the Libertarian ultimately is going to be that um, that big a deal in that race. Now, the Libertarian may play a role in the Secretary of State's race. That race with John uh, Barrow and Brad Raffensperger is tied. Uh, that race is, let's see, I got the data here. Uh, Jeff Duncan is leading Sarah Riggs Amico. And uh, John Barrow is 42% to Brad Raffensperg, 41%. Keep in mind, John Barrow uh, was a congressman. He's got a base of support over in the eastern part of the state. Uh, the libertarian in that race that was getting 5.4% while 11% remain uncommitted. I think the big tip-off here is the Jeff Duncan versus Sarah Riggs Amigo. Uh, that is a low-profile pro race, and you see that the Republicans have an innate uh, several percentage point advantage, and I think that helps the Republicans. We are still a Republican state, but it's going to be very close, and it's going to come down to turnout. So we've got a turnout issue here, folks. Uh, Republicans have a built-in advantage in Georgia because of turnout, but Democratic turnout is just huge right now. And it is huge in the metro area. Barack Obama is coming in tomorrow for Stacey Abrams. Oprah Winfrey has come in today for Stacey Abrams. He had the vice president today for Brian Kemp in North Georgia, Augusta, and Savannah, trying to hit those areas. You'll have the president come in for Brian Kemp in Macon on Sunday. They're expecting a huge turnout in Macon for that. Probably wise to get the president in middle Georgia instead of the Atlanta area because there's a lot of data in multiple campaigns showing when the president campaigns for a Republican in an urban area, it also mobilizes Democrats. But when you take him out into the ex-urban area or, or the smaller city area, it doesn't necessarily fire up Democrats as much as it might. The president's presence is very polarizing. There is other good news, somewhat good news for Brian Kemp in that 46% of voters in Georgia approve for the president's performance, 50% do not. Now, that sounds bad, except this is actually a, an increase for the president in Georgia. So his polling has been headed in the right direction. Those trend lines look good for Brian Kemp. The Kemp campaign, I am told, looks encouraged by their polling numbers and their turnout models. Uh, their turnout models show them turning out where they need to be turning out. 
I am also told that their turnout models show that while Stacey Abrams is doing very, very well in the metro Atlanta area, she's not doing as well as she needs to be doing in some of the other counties, which is good for the Kemp campaign. But that can turn. Now, we've had rain come through today. Rain tends to turn uh, turn down early voting numbers when it hits during early voting because of the lines. People don't want to stand in line outside their boards of elections. None but... On Tuesday, North Georgia, which is a Republican area, is expected to get rain. Uh, South Georgia, not necessarily so much, and it may skip the metro area. Now, this is continuing to be in flux. We can't really make anything of the weather, but uh, you get rain on Election Day. It can throw things for a loop. All this is to say is it is a very close race, and it comes down to voters turning out. And the more heavily uh, active voters right now are Democratic voters. If it is a very close race and the Democrats are overwhelmingly more engaged than Republicans, Stacey Abrams will be governor. There is news on the Stacey Abrams front as well. I put this up on my Facebook page, uh, my, my personal Facebook page. You can go check it out. Stacey Abrams, when she was in the legislature, you know, we played that clip yesterday from The View. Let me see if I can find this clip again. This is Stacey Abrams on The View talking about the AR-15. Do not believe that weapons of mass destruction like the AR-15 belong in civilian hands. So you think and I don't think any, I do. I think they should be prohibited from civilian use. I've shot an AR-15, and I think you probably have too. And while it's an amazing amount of power, it also is an amazing amount of destruction. And there is um, very little that can be done I to protect vulnerable communities when the AR-15 is present. I do appreciate your honesty, and I assume that by banning it, you would be rounding them up. It's the most popular gun in America. Around 61% of all U.S. civilian rifle sales would we be rounding them up from civilians in Georgia that own it. We we have had a ban on assault weapons before in the United States, and I think that we should do it again. I think that there has to be a conversation of how it's accomplished, because we have to recognize that this is a national conversation. Well, it may be a national conversation that she wants, but Stacey Abrams in 2015 filed legislation. I put a copy of it up, a picture of it on Facebook, and she wanted to not only ban semi-automatic weapons in Georgia, but also have the Georgia Bureau of Investigation confiscate existing weapons. It was a long list of semi-automatic weapons, some of those popular uh, long barrel guns and massive list of handguns. In the state of Georgia, basically any semi-automatic weapon was classified under the legislation she proposed as an assault weapon, and she wanted the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to confiscate all of them if the legislation passed. Now, obviously, it did not pass, uh, but you can be sure if she were to be elected governor, this gun issue would be a very big issue that she would play up. None of that information was out when this polling started. Uh, how the gun information hurt what she said on uh, The View, what she said about the free market, all these things started trickling out during the period that was being polled. How they shifted voters, I guess we'll find out on Election Day. Do you have trouble sleeping? Do you struggle putting your kids to bed each night when you sleep poorly? How does it impact the rest of your day? Well... There's a great app to help you get to sleep at night, and I can tell you we've started using it in our family. Jonathan Last, actually, a friend of mine from the Weekly Standard, recommended this. He and his family have used it for a very long time. Uh, the app is called Calm. We have gotten to the point now where 
Our kids now sleep in separate rooms, and our youngest has wanted to sleep with the dog. Our oldest has wanted some sort of sound machine at night. Well, this app, Calm, it's the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was named App of the Year last year by Apple. And if you head to calm.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programs, including sleep stories, which are bedtime tales for grown-ups designed to quiet your minds and relax your body. They're read by soothing narrators like Clark Peters, from The Wire and Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. They're guided meditations on topics like anxiety, stress, and sleep, and they're soothing music and more. For a limited time, the Eric Erickson Show listeners get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash E-R-I-C-K. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content that will have you drifting off to dreamland in no time at all. Get started today at calm.com slash Eric, then get to sleep. It's 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Phone lines are open. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Now, there is other stuff going on as well. Uh, Lucy McBath is out attacking Karen Handel. Democrats have put some money into this race. I don't know what they're seeing. My guess is that they're trying to get Republicans to freak out and spend some money in this race. Uh, The Atlanta suburbs, though, are showing a high turnout. I suspect that um, everything is okay there. But uh, Lucy McBath is going after Karen Handel. And one of the attacks that she's making is on pre-existing conditions. Now, Karen refused to sign on to supporting uh, the Obamacare repeal unless pre-existing were pre-existing conditions were protected. And she's co-sponsored HR 1121 uh, that would protect pre-existing conditions, so that if Obamacare gets repealed, uh, the pre-existing provision pre-existing condition provision won't. Uh, but you know, McBath is out there doing everything she can to attack. And I think what she's trying to do, what McBath is trying to do is she's trying to get people, uh, get Karen Handel on defense because Karen Handel has had McBath on defense over this voter registration issue. Lucy McBath, as you'll recall, has lived in Tennessee. Her husband, she's described as a permanent resident of Tennessee. And while they were living in Tennessee, she was taking a homestead exemption in Cobb County. Those local sorts of things matters. And she's trying to come up with something to force Karen Handel on defense. I don't know that it'll work. Now, uh, let's go back to the phones. Rhonda from Grayson, you're up next. Welcome. Um, I just wanted to say that I think that do you think that the runoff would benefit uh, Stacey Abrams because the Democratic base is so fired up, especially us African-Americans? They are very fired up, and the Republicans do have some concern about that. Um, I do think, though, that you got to re- go back to the Saxby-Chambliss race, uh, his last time running for the Senate, when you had a situation where it was forced with Jim Martin, I believe it was, forced into a runoff, and Republicans were able to outpace Democrats. It'll certainly be closer. The Democrats certainly are more fire- fired up, but historically, Republicans have an easier time getting Republicans to go back uh, for a runoff. One of the reasons is this. Uh, the Abrams campaign has somewhat premised her election 
on an early vote absentee ballot model that Republicans tend to use. And she's doing a very good job of it, but she has had to do it over a six-month period. This would only be a one-month runoff cycle, and because it's a one-month runoff cycle, it would be very, very hard to reduplicate that absentee ballot effort when it's a habit and pattern for Republicans to do that. So I think Republicans would still have a slight edge there. Thirty-nine after the hour. It is Eric Erickson here. Let's go back to the phones. I want to go to David in Forsyth. Welcome. Yes. Good afternoon, Eric. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Enjoy your show. Listen every day. I'm a truck driver. Oh, thank you. But uh, I had the question about how important the governor's race was going to be with the 2020 census coming out in 2021 when they do the redistricting. Oh, huge, uh, because the governor will have a veto power over any maps the legislature draws, and they're not going to have a supermajority in the legislature anymore. Um, the Republicans will lose seats in the state legislature just because of the shifts in Atlanta. They'll still have a majority, uh, but they won't have a supermajority. They won't be able to override a gubernatorial veto of maps. So if you get a Democrat in the governor's mansion, that will blow up on Republicans when it comes to the census after 2020. That's something Republicans need to remember, and it's something that's going to actually wind up impacting races around the country. Right now, Democrats are projected to pick up seven governor's races. And with seven governor's races, uh, that really will shift. And in some states where Republicans have a lock right now, that'll shift redistricting fights. That'll impact congressional races. It'll impact state house and state senate races all over the country. A very big deal. Great question there, David. Um, And I don't know that enough people appreciate that. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. John Stewart is making news. Yeah, remember him, the the original Daily Show guy? He's out saying that President Trump is really taking advantage of the egos in the media, that he is able to do things um, that others probably couldn't do because of his willingness uh, to attack the media and play to their egos, harming their egos, uh, gets them fired up. And I think he's right on this. There is new polling out that suggests that two-thirds of Americans now believe that the media uh, divides the country. In fact, uh, more people believe the media divides the country than the president divides the country. I want to go full circle uh, last night. I, I, I get to repeat myself from last night largely because I know everybody was out trick-or-treating anyway, so you didn't hear the Don Lemon soundbite, but you need to hear this Don Lemon soundbite. When we talk about media polling and, and divisions, listen to Don Lemon talking to Chris Cuomo on CNN. I keep trying to point out to people not to demonize any one group or any one ethnicity, but we keep thinking that the biggest terror threat is something else. Some Some, some people who are marching you know, towards the border, like it's imminent. And when the last time they did this, a couple hundred people came and they, you know, most of them did get into the country. Most of them tired, you know, got tuckered out before they even made it to the border. Um, So we have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized to the right. And we have to start doing something about them. There is no travel ban on them. 
There is no ban on, you know, they had the Muslim ban. There is no white guy ban. So what do we do about that? So we got to stop demonizing people because white guys are the real terrorists in this country. Does, you know, y'all, I like Don Lemon. Uh, I do. I know none of you do. Uh, I like Don Lemon. Uh, I like Don Lemon because, well, we've been friends for a while. We we have never not enjoyed each other's company. He's he's a fun guy to hang out with. Um, we have got to be friends when I was at CNN. But he, I this is just Trump derangement syndrome. Um, and y- you know you can like someone and disagree with their politics, and I'm just struggling to understand why an anchor on CNN, a network that prides itself on giving objective news is out saying that white men are the real terrorists. We need to stop demonizing people, but we need a white person travel ban. And saying it to Chris Cuomo, who's a big liberal, who's just nodding along sympathetically with him, uh, this is the network that wants to claim that it is somehow uh, less biased than the other networks, that this is the network that gives you the news most accurately, uh, the, the fairest presentation of the news, the news without the, the political biases and spins, and yet here's an anchor on CNN demonizing white men, calling them terrorists. And by the way, Terrorism is a very specific word. I know it gets lost these days, but terrorism is actually a very specific word. It is to use violence for political purposes. Now, arguably, you can call the guy in uh, Pennsylvania who shot up the synagogue a terrorist because he intended to use this violence to change a political policy. Uh, but by and large, the violence that Don Lemon cites of among white men, you, you know why white men are the greatest um, perpetrators of violence in this country? Because they're the majority. You go to an Islamic country, uh, guess who the greatest perpetrators are there? The majority population. Go to a European country, you'll find the same thing. Go to an Asian country, you'll find the same thing. Uh, it, it, it's Look at it um, per capita, though, and it's not necessarily the case. That was a cheap shot And it undermines CNN and it undermines Don Lemon's credibility at a time the president is seeking to attack CNN and the media as enemies of the people. He's just playing into that as him viewing white men as the enemy in this country, him viewing white men as terrorists. It's not helpful to any conversation we need to have in this country about what's going on. It is not helpful to anyone other than possibly makes him feel good to unbear himself and unbear his soul and tell people this. But what agenda does does it advance? None. It undermines CNN's credibility. It undermines his credibility. And it just fires up the president and the president's base. There was no point in him saying this other than I guess he'll sleep well at night for saying it. But it's just a reminder that Trump derangement syndrome affects even the media. And now two thirds of the country believes the media is more divisive than even the president. Yeah, I would say that's true. It is 54 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number, well, it's too late in the show to give you the phone number, isn't it? I have seen several people on social media, Jerry being one of them, who's listening right now, saying, talk me off the ledge about this governor's race. What good news can you give me? I wish I had some to give you. 
Um, I will tell you that the odds are Republicans do okay because if you go back to 2006, uh, when the great blue wave swept America, uh, Republicans were spared in Georgia. Republicans tend to have a better ground game in Georgia than Democrats, and there are more Republican voters in Georgia than there are Democrats. But, and this is key here, Stacey Abrams has been laying the groundwork for this for four years. Uh, while Republicans in the state were squabbling over how to move the state and what to do with their party, Stacey Abrams has been laying the groundwork. And you've got to give her credit. Whether you like Stacey Abrams or not is irrelevant. She has for four years wanted this. And she has been laying the groundwork for this. And she's been blessed by having Donald Trump in the White House. However much you like him, there is someone who hates him as much as you like him in Georgia. And they are as fired up to vote as you are. So it's going to be a very close race. I do think that Brian Kemp has the right strategy, and that is to maximize his vote out of Atlanta to minimize her vote increase in Atlanta. Working counties where Donald Trump had an overwhelming influence, though the numbers are not as big as what you can get in Cobb, Gwinnett, and Fulton County, combined, they can offset those counties if it's enough. Keep in mind, you only have to go back two years ago and Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton in Georgia. It was close, but Hillary Clinton got about 45% of the vote. That is what we've seen all along in Georgia. Whether you're talking about uh, Roy Barnes against uh, Nathan Deal, whether you're talking about Jason Carter against Nathan Deal, whether you're talking about Michelle Nunn against David Perdue, time and time again, we see a cap for uh, Democrats at about 45% in Georgia. Uh, now, Donald Trump did worse than Republicans typically do in Georgia, but that's because a lot of people voted third party. You add all the third party and write-in candidates together, and, and Trump's number would have gone up. You still got problems, though. I'll tell you what. I'm going to keep taking your questions at Facebook. I'm going to do Facebook Live at Facebook.com slash E.W. Erickson as soon as I get off the air. So go to Facebook.com slash E.W. Erickson right now, and I'll answer more questions.